reach out and get involved in as much and learn as many of the areas as possible and make it very clear to your manager and to your leaders that you want to grow in the company and you want to learn as much as possible and you want to be exposed to as much as possible because then your leader knows that when those opportunities come up, they're going to call on you. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Ken Muscat, Managing Director of the Scenic Group USA. Ken, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me. Well, we get right into it on this podcast, Ken, and we always start with, what was your first job in hospitality? I love this question because it's always so interesting for people to try to figure out how I ended up in that position. My first job was actually working in the entertainment department at Royal Caribbean Cruise Line uh, right out of college. And I uh, literally was in charge of putting together audition tours for hiring the singers and dancers who performed on board. And I'm not a singer and I'm definitely not a dancer. I had no background in that, but it was an entry level job. They were looking for somebody who had some marketing, advertising kind of experience to basically place the ads in the newspapers around the country looking for and setting up the auditions for the singers and dancers. So I had a background in that. That's, I went to school for communications and they hired me. The, the manager at the time, her name was Marianne Delaney, and she was, uh, continues to remain a, a great mentor of mine and a great friend. She thought I was cute and she said, he has no experience, but let's just hire him anyway. And that was it. That's how I got, that's how I got started. And it wasn't, wasn't too bad of a gig, uh, you know, seeing all these people line up for audition tours around the country and being 23, 24 years old, traveling around to all these different places. So it was a great start. Well, you were at the University of Hartford. Was that something that was like piqued your interest? You're like, Hey, I want to check out this world of hospitality. Or it was just like, you went to a job fair and oh, Royal Caribbean. What was it like? No, you know, I had no intentions of getting into the cruise industry. I really thought I was going to go into being a news anchor or a reporter uh, and doing some stuff in front of the camera. And so I went to University of Hartford. Like you said, they have a great communication school focused on journalism and advertising. And I actually, when I came home, I, I did a, I came back to Miami, which is home. 
I did a lot of interviews with some of the bigger companies here, as well as ad agencies and PR firms. And Royal Caribbean just kind of came up out of nowhere. They just had, you know, a, a friend of a friend introduced me to some, some uh, HR person over there. And they said, hey, you could be a reservation agent, which I didn't even know what it was at the time. Or we have a spot in the entertainment department. And that's how I, I, I took the entertainment department role. And that's how I got into it. I mean, that sounds way more fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you do that for how long? How long are you doing that role with Royal Caribbean? Because you're there for a long time. I want to yeah. you know, you're there for a good chunk, almost 18 years. So I was, at, I was at Royal for 18 years. I did a number of roles. I started off in, in entertainment and then moved a little bit more into operations. Ultimately, I ended up going into marketing and product development uh, and then sales and then onboard revenue. I also was in charge of the contact centers. And it's funny because a lot of times people ask me, you know, how, how did you jump from one place to another? And I, I will give Royal Caribbean a lot of kudos that they, they do a great job identifying talent and giving them exposure to all different parts of the company, which has been key to my growth and experience. And what I always tell people that when I'm speaking to, to, to uh, people that are out there that are just starting in their professional careers is to figure out how you can get involved in projects and get exposure to other executives in the company and other departments within the company, because ultimately that's what happened. I ended up working on some projects that really had nothing to do with my role in entertainment, but they saw that I was a go-getter and I could get things done. And they started giving me different things that got me exposure to the CEO and the president, the head of marketing and the head of sales. And then ultimately they ended up coming after me saying, Hey, why don't you come over, you know, to my department and work. So that's really how I started to get this, you know, keep moving up and moving around to different areas of the company and, and learning, you know, quite a bit. So what was it like, you know, starting out on the ship? Because to me, I see these beautiful ships, you know, we're both based here in Miami. I drive by them all the time. I've been on cruises, but you know, I've never experienced that life on the ship. How long did you have on the ship? Or is that something you liked, didn't like? What was that like for you? I, I actually never worked on board. I started right in the office, but the cool thing is because of my role in entertainment, I was on board the ships on the weekends a lot. And I had a lot of meetings on board the ships, traveled on the ships a lot. And so I got pretty, pretty immediate exposure to, while I wasn't a crew member, I got exposure to what it's like and the importance of working with the team on board, the hotel director, the captain, and the various executives on board, no different than working in a, in a land-based organization on board the ship, you've got the captain who's the boss and, and you've got the, the head of hotel and the head of Marine, and you have to build relationships with them. And, and most important is you have to show them the respect that this is their ship. You're coming into their world. And when you're on board, they run it. And so when you present yourself as somebody who's there to help and learn and make things better, it, it helps build that relationship and makes you more successful. So while I didn't work on board, I was on board a lot, worked with the crew a lot, and I got a, a very early understanding of the the importance of the shipboard and the shoreside relationship. It's interesting because in hotels, you have the front and back of house, and sometimes you know they give each other hard times. Was it some similar like that on cruise ships, or is that uh, like, hey, oh, you're the you're land based? Were the guys actually on the on the water? Yeah, yeah, you know, it started off like that a little bit. At the time I joined Royal Caribbean, it was a much smaller company than it, than it is today. As the company grew and more and more ships came on, and the and the product started getting more and more complex the team on board really started to value what the shoreside team could bring. 
Because we started, you know, when I was in marketing, I actually started the product development department under the marketing organization. And at that time, we were working with the operations team to identify who were the customers coming on board. How should the product be different when you're sailing in Alaska versus the Caribbean versus Europe? How do you really make it authentic? Change up the menu, change up the entertainment, change up the activities. So the shipboard team started to really look to us for that expertise and help them execute those ideas. So it became a real, you know, what it is today, which is a real, real team effort, which you need when the companies grow to the size that they are today. And so as you're growing, you know, you have 18 years there, right? As you come up through the ranks, was there that first role where you're like, had many people reporting to you and you kind of like, hit, you're like, wow, I've got a lot of responsibility here. Was there a position like that, that you remember? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the first, the first position where I was at a, at a director level role and I had a good number of people reporting under me was when I was in marketing and I was in charge of product development and marketing. And I had a team under me that was responsible for Caribbean, the team responsible for Europe, a team responsible for Alaska. So it was a good number of people that had to work cross-functionally with a lot of other areas. That as well as when I moved over to sales and I had ultimately had about, you know, when I was VP of sales, had about a hundred salespeople under my responsibility all over the country. And then when I moved into contact center, we were upwards of six, 700 people uh, between Florida and Oregon, where we had contact center agents. So to answer your question, when I first moved into marketing, I got that taste and then it grew into sales and it grew into contact center. And um, it's, it's really, that has really been what has inspired me and excited. It got me excited about going to work every day is this, this ability to really manage large groups of people and get them excited about what they're doing every day and help them be successful. The biggest reward for me was when people who worked for me got promoted or got recruited into other areas of the company because they were doing so well. That made me feel, feel really good. You know, so for some listeners out there, they're like, man, Ken is managing a hundred people as a VP of sales, you know, coming up through the ranks. I don't know if I could do that. What was something that you learned to manage that many people? How did you start to not micromanage all these people and make sure that they could develop? Because yeah. at that scale, you're running really the sales of the company. How could you do that? Yeah, you know, I, I think I give a lot of credit to my my own bosses. I, I think from every single person you work for, you learn something. And I talk about this a lot because I have been fortunate enough to have extremely amazing, great, well-respected bosses who knew how to lead people and knew how to develop their teams. And I learned from them. And I've also had bosses that I learned a lot of things not to do, right? So I think you learn, you learn, you know, the good and bad from from every boss that you have. And I think a lot of my leadership style came from those who I just watched how they led and how they developed me, how they spoke to me, how they organized the department. A lot of focus on communication and transparency and having one-on-one -on -one meetings and developmental meetings and staff meetings where everybody is aligned. I just learned the importance of communication and that really builds a lot of trust and comfort with the people that work for you. And it doesn't matter if it's two people or five people or a hundred people. When you get everybody aligned on what you're trying to accomplish and everybody is, it knows, you know, what that goal is and where you are to reaching that goal, uh, you start to build this camaraderie and you start to develop a team of people who 
they get disappointed when they when they don't reach their goals because they know that I get disappointed about that. And they don't want to disappoint me, which is a great sign of a leader because your employees are trying to make you happy and look good. And you're also trying to make them look good. So it works hand in hand. And so, you know, when they have that that skin in the game and they're very aware of where you stand and where you need to be, and you develop a, a relationship where you do everything possible to make them successful. So you're jointly trying to go after those goals. Uh, it works great. And, and that leadership style is something that I learned at a very young age. Uh, actually, a lot of people have asked me when I, when my first leadership opportunity or position came to be, and believe it or not, I was 15 and I was a camp counselor at a sleepaway camp in Georgia. And at that time we split the camp in half and had color war, which some people may be very familiar with. And you had one team against another team for three days. And I was voted to be a team captain. And at that time, at 15 years old, I was leading about 300 campers to beat the other side of the camp on a three-day competition. That was actually my first time, and I remember it to this day, of what it felt like to stand up there on stage and speak publicly and lead people and motivate them. And, and, I, and, and that is what got me into the positions that I've been in. And I've constantly carried that with me always and tried to keep that same sort of mentality and communication and, and inspiration to the people that, you know, for the people that work for me. No, I love that. We got to give a shout out to the camp now. What was the name of the camp that you went it's to? It's called uh, Camp, camp Coleman. Still, still active today and an amazing place to be in Cleveland, Georgia. Amazing. Camp Coleman. You see developing leaders across the, the country. Exactly. Well, look, you, you clearly show that you're a leader because during your time at Royal Caribbean, you had 10 jobs always moving up into bigger and bigger roles. You know, I think for people coming up in, in the industry, sometimes they get stuck in a role because they don't want to ask for the job or they feel like they're getting passed over or, you know, sometimes just they're just not cut out for it. But what was your strategy? Was it something you let people know that you wanted those jobs or did they come to you or was it different? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I let people know. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying, where I was very proactive in making it clear to other executives. Hey, if you have a project, let me help you with it. You know, if there's something I can get involved in, you want me to work on the weekends, you want me to, you know, I, I got involved in, I'll, I'll give you an interesting one. When I was uh, in the entertainment department, and I think I was like 24, former President Carter and his whole family were sailing on one of the Royal Caribbean ships. And they needed somebody to basically just execute their whole vacation. And, you know, there's not a job like that in a company. There's nobody in charge of, of planning a president's vacation. So they asked me to do it because they knew how detailed I was and how, how I could build good relationships. I ended up working with the Secret Service. I ended up working with, with uh, President Carter's, you know, personal secretary, our executive team at Royal Caribbean. I sailed with him and his family. And I executed the whole thing. And so that had nothing to do with my job, but it got me tremendous exposure, got me a lot of attention. And at the end of the day, a lot of people said, wow, he, you know, was able to pull this off in a pretty complicated, pretty intense, you know, important kind of project. And I made it clear to people that those are the kinds of things that I can do and I want to do. And as I was able to prove myself, you know, more and more people, more of those opportunities came my way. But I will tell you at a very early age, I, I made it clear, I want to, I want to be president one day. 
You know, I went out there saying I want to be president one day and I'm going to do everything to do to. I don't mean president of the United States from, <laughs> from traveling with Carter. I mean, president of a company right. um, because that's what I, you know, because because that's really what my goal was. And and luckily, a lot of my bosses were able to to put me in positions to enable me to, to do that and grow and and uh, get that kind of experience. Oh, I love that. And so, you, look, you, like we've talked about it a couple of times now. You have a nice career going there. You're there 18 years and then a pivot happens like to most of us in our careers. What happens there? What, what happens in that transition? It's, it's definitely one of the most difficult decisions you're, you're ever going to make when, you know, when you're at a company for 18 years, which a lot of people don't do anymore. But, you know, mm. a, a few years ago, that was pretty common. People were right. very loyal. Yes. Um, and, you know, being there for 18 years and making a move was a was a big decision. But I was at a time in my career where I felt like I had done a lot of what I could do at Royal Caribbean and made uh, made the impact I wanted to make. And this opportunity came to me from a from a cruise line that was a European cruise line called MSC Cruises that was going to be starting up in the US and they were going to try to become a big player in the US. And it was it, it came to me as an opportunity more as sort of an entrepreneurial startup ability to really see something that is an unknown become mm-hmm. a very known player in a very competitive industry. And that I had never experienced before. I had never had to take a brand and build brand awareness because Royal Caribbean, everybody always knew. Right. Uh, I, I never had to start a brand from scratch, you know, basically in the U.S. market and, and build awareness around it and, and, and get demand to make that brand successful. Uh, and, and of course, it was a, an opportunity for me to be in a, in a more senior level position. And um, I, I took on that opportunity to really take a risk and, and do something different. I liked the ability to say, I'm going to be part of the team that takes something that is an unknown and make it very successful. And that's what drove me to leave uh, Royal Caribbean after 18 years and join MSC Cruises, which I ultimately ended up being at for four years. Then I went to China for two years and then went back to MSC for three years. So I was there for seven years. And, and you know, when I look back at the seven years I was at MSC, I feel very happy and proud of the fact that I was part of the team to do exactly what we set out to do and really make it one of the biggest cruise lines out there today make it very well known and, and high demand in the US market and got it to where it is today, which is the, the third largest cruise line in the world. That was amazing. And I remember it clear when it pulled into port for the first time here in Miami. And so what was it like? Because you know, it's hard for some people where they're at a company for so long and then they go to a new one and they're like, well, this is not the way it's supposed to be done. Or like, all right, you guys are doing it great because they've been doing it in Europe for so long. What was it like for you? Was it a transition time or was it like, all right, this is pretty easy? No, it was definitely a transition because there was a lot of different things. You know, uh, when I was at Royal Caribbean, it was headquartered here in Miami. It was a very North American focused company. MSC is headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, a very European focused company who was trying to expand in the U.S. And truthfully, at the time, was trying to take what they did in Europe and move it here. And so I had to spend a lot of time for the first time in my life explaining to a lot of people and educating a lot of people that the North American market is different. And we do require different things, whether it's the type of entertainment, the type of food, the type of service, the type of technology. We require different things to be competitive in the U.S. market. So that was something I never had to do before. I, I had to really, you know, sort of wake up one day and say, wow, I really have to take a step back and 
and educate a lot of people of what it's going to take to be successful in this market. And it didn't happen overnight either. So it was a lot of, lot, not only a lot of educating, but also a lot of convincing, you know, of, of why something has to be done to a company who was already a very well-known successful company in Europe who would constantly say, well, we're already so big and well-known in Europe. Why doesn't it work in the U.S.? So that was a big change. Fortunately, the leaders in Europe were very open to hearing it. And they knew because of the amount of growth that MSC was going through that the U.S. had to be successful to make the company successful. And it had to be one of the most important markets for the company. So therefore, they, they sat back and said, OK, you know, bring your expertise to us and tell us what we need to do. And again, you know, it took a few years to, to get people to really understand and, and, and uh, you know, commit to the cost and the investment to make those kinds of things happen. But then you jump ahead and you, you see the payoff now. So it, it, was, it was different. It was a little scary. It was a, I definitely had a few of those moments of like, what the heck did I just do? Because uh, I was super happy at Royal and, 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 and you know, it, it was a great experience. But sometimes when you put yourself in these uncomfortable positions, you learn a lot. And when, when you get yourself out of your comfort zone, and I know we'll talk about my time in China, which was the ultimate of getting myself yeah, out. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. You know, when you put yourself in that position, you learn a lot about what your capabilities are and, and a lot about your own personal and professional strengths and weaknesses. And so that's what really drove me to MSC. And that's what, what I dealt with for the first few years. And then, it, you know, then it became normal. Then it was a, another cruise industry gig that I knew a lot about. And, and I can, you know, add my expertise and just enjoy watching, watching the growth of the company. Well, look, they, they promoted you pretty quick once you got there. So they did trust you. And like you mentioned, it was hard to get the name out, right, for MSC. So how, you know, I'm not asking for the, the sales plan, but what was some of the strategies in your head of, how we're going to get this out there because you did have Royal Caribbean and Carnival and Norwegian and you know, other players that are out there. How did you start getting and say, all right, this is how we're going to get the name out? You know, it, it wasn't one, it wasn't one magic bullet. It was a lot of things. Uh, travel advisors today still play a huge role in selling and promoting and marketing cruises. So we worked very closely with the travel agent community to help us promote it and help bring out the MSC name to their clients. Lots of people out there are, are, are saying, you know, I'd love to go on a cruise. I just don't know the difference between the cruises. I, I don't really, I'm not really loyal to one brand. I just want to go to Alaska. I want to go to the Bahamas. I want to go to Europe. What do you recommend? So we did our best to try to get travel agents to recommend MSC so we could start getting, you know, a lot of first timers who have never experienced the brand to experience the brand. We invested a lot in consumer advertising. You know, we, we invested a lot in TV and digital and, and outdoor and, and everything we could do. We built a lot of partnerships. Uh, we had partnerships that, you know, the, the, the beauty of a partnership and, you know, for example, we were the official cruise line of the Miami Dolphins for three years. We had a partnership with Venki Chocolates on board and a, a number of different, uh, different partners and uh, Lego, for example. So, so really big names that consumers already knew and trusted and therefore they said, well, I guess if MSC is partnering with Lego for their kids program, they must be legit. So let's try them out. So we leverage partnerships quite a bit to, to make people feel comfortable about coming on our brand. And then it was all about, you know, once we got, once we got consumers coming on and experiencing the product and travel agents experiencing the product, it was all word of mouth. So it wasn't one thing, you know, it was, it was a lot of investment in the trade. It was a lot of investment in, in advertising 
and uh, a lot of competitive analysis and a lot of word to, to get the brand to grow. And as we saw that demand grow, we started to bring more and more ships to the market because we felt confident about being able to fill them. But it's, it's, it's a long, it's a long process, especially when you're a new brand coming into the market and you've got, like you mentioned, the carnivals and the Royal Caribbeans and the NCLs of the world that have been here for 50, 60, 70 years right. mm-hmm. that everybody knew and trusted to, to break into that was a big deal. But it also was what was most exciting about it. You know, I like those challenges. I like, a. I like to be involved in, in, in working with the underdog and as you, you see from what I continue doing to try to make it, you know, to, to try to get out of being the underdog and, and become a major player. Well, it seems like you have this entrepreneurial spirit. Did you have that growing up? Were you someone who was doing that or was it something that just developed as you were coming up through your career? Like, Oh, I really want to go after this and, and try this. I, I think it, it uh, I did not have it. I, I think it just came with, with my career. And I think the first time, was when I left Royal Caribbean and went to MSC and I got that first taste of really, you know, getting involved in, in this sort of entrepreneurial startup kind of mentality. I wasn't a kid that was, you know, doing the lemonade stand on the sidewalk or anything. Mm, <laughs> selling sports cars. Yeah, no, no entrepreneurial uh, things for me as I was a kid, but definitely when I got the taste of it and I sort of got that challenge, it, it got me really excited. And, and, you know, to be truthful, even when I was at Royal, and some of the areas that I was responsible for, for example, when I was responsible for the contact center, that was a time of tremendous growth. And we took the contact center from a very small team to a very large team. And we created an outbound team for direct sales. We started doing a lot of things that were a first. So even then it was kind of, you know, let's take on the challenge of growing and developing and doing things a little bit differently. So I got a little bit of a taste of it there as well. But then obviously, you know, going to MSC and then China and what I've done beyond that has been a, a much bigger taste of that. And and I, I like it. I, I like that challenge. Well, let's talk about that. You know, you talk about the first taste with MSC, but then you make a big change. And this is where, you know, I'm excited to talk to you because you said you go to China and, you know, just looking at the notes I had here, it was a joint venture with Royal Caribbean. So a company you were familiar with, right? How does that come? Because I know it's hard at your level, especially at MSC, where they liked you and promoted you? How did that change come? So again, this is one of those, you know, just amazing opportunity that sort of came unexpected. The the chairman uh, of Royal Caribbean, Richard Fain, at the time, reached out to me. I had been with MSC now for four years, and he reached out to me and he said, look, we've got this great opportunity. We're looking for a CEO to manage our joint venture in Shanghai. Uh, it was a joint venture between Royal Caribbean and ctrip.com, which was the, the biggest online player in China at the time. And they had moved one ship, a, a older celebrity cruises ship, to a new brand that they developed in China. And it had been there for about a year operating, and it was called Sky Sea Cruise Line. And Richard wanted somebody, the, the people that were in charge of the brand at the time during the startup didn't have a lot of cruise industry experience. They, they came more from the online travel uh, environment and they needed somebody who had the, the kind of experience like I did to go out there and run it. So Richard contacted me and asked me if I'd be interested. It was very interesting because I would say earlier in my career, if somebody had done that, I would have thought about it for weeks. I would have, I would have gone back and forth and talked to people. Should I do this? Should I not? This is crazy. Should I move to China for a couple of years? For some reason, and I cannot explain it to this day, Richard called 
Next thing I know, I was on a plane to China. I was doing interviews with the people out there that were the board of directors. I came back. I, I, I was literally on the grand, ground in China less time than I was on the plane. Flew out there, did a few interviews, came right back. Richard called me two days later and said, you know, we want to offer you the job. And I think uh, within about three or four weeks, I was out there. So it was almost no thought, which I, which I think at this time, I'm glad that I did not have any thought around it because I, I probably would have talked myself out of doing it. And before I knew it, I went out there and this was yet another one of those amazing opportunities to get into a super uncomfortable, out of my comfort zone experience and take a brand that was a, yet again, a startup, one ship trying to grow, starting in a, in a market where China was in the process of really exploding in the cruise industry and lots of competition was going on out there and try to figure out how to make it successful. And it was very interesting for me because a number of people that I know from Royal Caribbean mm -hmm. had gone to China to work on the Royal Caribbean brand. And they worked in a, in a Royal Caribbean office in Shanghai with English speaking people. My brand, even though it was a joint venture with Royal Caribbean and Sea Trip, it was a Chinese cruise line in a different office, not a, you know, other than it being a joint venture, had nothing to do with Royal Caribbean. It was a separate cruise line, Sky Sea Cruise Line for the Chinese market. And I worked in an office with all Chinese Mandarin speaking people. So I could not read the website. I could not read the brochures. I was able to, you know, hire a few people from the ship that were English speaking and, and, uh, you know, I, I brought into the shoreside office and we, re, we, we rebuilt the whole team within the first month, first few months of me being there. But talk about a super uncomfortable and challenging situation, personally and professionally. It was, it was unbelievable. But I'll tell you the first three months and, and I, I, wrote a, some, I wrote a story on LinkedIn, I think when I first came back from China, sort of about my development there. And the first three months, I, I basically spent every night, I won't sugarcoat it, I wasn't nearly crying. I spent every night crying, thinking, how am I going to get through this? And then something just clicked after the first three months where I woke up one day and just said, you know, I could do this. And now I felt comfortable. I knew what I was doing. I knew what we had to do. I started feeling comfortable in the environment, the housing, the shopping, the driving, everything. Right. And uh, then it just clicked. And from that point forward, it was like, boom, the next year and a half, the two years was just autopilot. Let's just get this done and make it successful. And we did, it, we, we ultimately did not make the company profitable because in order to make it profitable, we would have needed probably another two ships. And ultimately, you know, long story short, Royal Caribbean decided that they were going to start to focus on their own brand in China where they were growing and, and why continue supporting this joint venture, which, which was really competing with the Royal Caribbean brand. So it ended up folding. But at the end of the day, we made tremendous progress and uh, really Im improved EBITDA and, and made tremendous progress in the company and made a tremendous impact on the community there and, and the impact on the Chinese market when it came to cruising. And I had a two-year two contract there. I finished the two years and came back and uh, was sad to see SkySea go. You know, it was sold, uh, the ship was sold to another company and SkySea went away, but it was an incredible two years. Again, from a professional perspective, it was unbelievable. But from a personal perspective, meeting people, learning how to live in a, in a place like Shanghai and traveling all over China was 
I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a, the best experience of my life. I think you're the fifth person now that's made this kind of jump. And to me, it's always, you know, they've kind of said the same. It's like being in a different world completely because you cannot understand anybody. And I, and I like the story of, and if you can share like what your first like executive meeting was in that environment, because each one of them has a different story and they're all, you know, like what you would see in the movie. What was it like for you on that first meeting when you sat down with your executive team? Oh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I re the first thing I remember is um, how uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable I was because the office was hot. They didn't like the air conditioning. So the office was warm. The room was full of people. Mm -hmm. I was starting to sweat and I was starting to think, you know, how am I going to do this? I had a translator and I wasn't even sure the translator was really translating half of what <laughs> I was trying to say. But, you know, that first meeting was just, God, I, I Honestly, I, I think I draw a blank of what that first meeting really was, because I think it was more just around, you know, my experience, my history, why I'm here and what we're trying to do and really learn everybody that was there and the different positions that they held. And, and some of them came from the industry. A lot of them did not. So I was trying to understand what's been going on for the last year that the company's been in business. And um, it quickly transitioned into, you know, hiring a whole new team. And that's when things really got exciting, because then... I was able to hire my own people. They were English speaking and Mandarin speaking. They were Chinese, but they understood the industry and understood cruising. And, and, and some of them came from the ship, like I mentioned. And I started to have a, a, a real comfortable relationship with the people that I was working with. And that's when I started to rise as a leader and feel really comfortable about going to work. But those first few meetings, I, I think, honestly, to answer your question, I, I kind of I kind of blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even really know. Uh, I can picture it. Months was just uh, was just trying to understand, you know, what I was what I was doing. But like I said, it was the best learning for anybody in my position. You know, talk about just jumping off the deep end and figuring out how to swim with virtually no support. It progressed me professionally and personally by years. It, it was just unbelievable. And and I and I will say also when I talk to people today especially younger people. I did a study abroad program when I was in college and I spent a semester in Spain. And um, while that was nothing like China, you know, uh, and I was much younger, I lived with a, with a Spanish speaking family. I didn't speak Spanish. I, I went to classes in Spanish. I had to learn how to ride the bus. I had to learn how to make new friends, find the gym, partied a lot. But that experience also, I think, helped me get through this China experience. And it's really interesting when you look at it, you know, one, I was a student, I had to learn the language, I was in a different country. The other, I had already been through, you know, a, a pretty a long professional career. And now I'm putting myself in this position yet again in another country trying to, I didn't really learn the language because Chinese or Mandarin was way more complicated than Spanish. But, you know, it was kind of a repeat of what I had done so many years earlier. And so I highly recommend to anybody if you have the opportunity to do a study abroad program in school, but you know, whether it's undergrad or your master's and, or do what I did where you have a professional opportunity to live somewhere else for a company for a period of time, it is probably the best thing you will ever do in your life and will definitely set you up for success in the future. Gosh, that's good advice. Listeners, you got to rewind that. Just listen to that again. Cause I think that's great advice for anyone listening, but is there anything when you look back that you miss? from being there? Is there anything like, man, I actually missed that? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I loved everything about it. I loved the city. Shanghai was an unbelievable place to live. I walked everywhere. I, I lived in a beautiful area. I made a lot of friends. I, I'm a big fan of and a, a, a big participant in Orange Theory Fitness. I'm not promoting Orange Theory Fitness. I just, <laughs> I go all the time. Yeah. And the first one that ever opened in China was in Shanghai. And that's actually where I started. And I made a lot of friends there. It kind of became my little like safe place, you know? Um, but I do miss the walking around. I miss the international flair that's there. You know, Miami is very international and it's great to live in a place like this. But over there, I met expats from all over the world that were there for various companies that they work for just like me. And I made friends with a lot of the locals. So I, I guess for me, it was something different almost every day. You know, on the weekends, I would try to go away and travel and and see different parts of, of China. I had Lots of friends and family come visit me at different times and took advantage of me being there to, to have an excuse to come travel. So it was different all the time. Um, and I missed that part of it, you know, just kind of not knowing what next week is going to hold. And, and the industry, working in the cruise industry in China, also virtually every day, you almost didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I, I would get a call from the captain of the ship at one o'clock in the morning that there's too much fog for the ship to sail. There's too many fishing boats in the way. There's a protest going on down the street. You know, somebody didn't pay and is demanding to get on the ship anyway. You never knew what was going to go on over there. It was an incredibly challenging but fulfilling industry in China. So I, I think that's what I miss the most, just kind of the the uncertainty and the, the every day is something new. Funny, we had, uh, I don't know if you know him, Thatcher Brown, who's now CEO of Four Seasons Yachts. He was on the show and similar similar sayings that he said about it. So it's great to hear. I knew Thatcher when I was over there. So yeah, see small world in the industry of hospitality. Yep. So, but all right. So your contract comes to an end. You enjoyed your time there in the end. And then a familiar name comes calling or you go knocking. How does that come about? It was a little bit of both. I had gone knocking a little bit because I knew my contract was coming to an end. It was kind of a simultaneous thing where they kind of came to me as well saying, also, we know your contract's coming to an end. Do you, would you consider coming back and, you know, being in a higher level position and doing X, Y, Z? So it, it, it kind of happened simultaneously. I maintained a really good relationship with the owners and the leaders over at MSC. And I'll, I'll, I'll use that as an opportunity to segue just into another bit of advice is in all the moving around that I've done, whether it be within a company or whether it be moving to a different company, I've never ever burned bridges. I've always I've always separated in a super positive way and always done it in a very professional, you know, friendly way. And that's why when I left Royal Caribbean, years later, Richard Fain, the chairman of Royal Caribbean, called me to go to China. That's why when I left China, the chairman of MSC called me to come back to MSC. So you never know. And you know, my industry might be unique and it's a very small industry, but I have a feeling there's many industries out there like that. You don't want to burn any bridges because you never know who's going to own you the next day. <laughs> you never know who's going to come That's reaching true. out or who you're going to need the next day. So I've always kept really positive relationships. And so anyway, you know, we kind of mutually started talking and um, MSC was continuing to grow in the U.S. And they offered me this opportunity to come back in a, in a, in a higher level role as a chief operating officer, having more responsibility. And it was great. It was it was perfect timing. I knew I was coming back from China. I needed a job. I, I also was looking around. I was I was looking at going back to Royal Caribbean. I was looking at other things, but the MSC opportunity was really an exciting one and ended up going back there, which was interesting, you know, being gone for a couple of years and kind of picking up and seeing what had happened over the two years that I was gone. 
And I was happy to see that a lot of what I had done the first four years I was there had continued. So we didn't go backwards. And I was able to just continue building on that. And it was a time when the company was coming out with beautiful brand new ships and a lot of more focus on the U.S. market, bringing more hardware here, building a new private island for the first time, starting discussions around building a new terminal, which which the, the company is now building in Port Miami. So it was a real exciting time to come into the brand. And I started there at the beginning of 2019 after I got back from China. All right. So you have a great first year back with MSC, right? And then like all of us in hospitality, our world gets kind of turned upside down. And now you're COO of this company. And so what was that like? Because none of us knew what was going on. All of a sudden, in like three weeks, it's it goes quicker. Did you hear people back? I didn't think about this. You knew people in China. Were they telling, sending you messages at all? Or was this something you, we all saw on the news together? No, and... I, think, uh, I think we all saw it on the news together. You know, we started talking as a company. Of, we started hearing little rumblings, obviously, about what was going on in China and, you know, keep an eye out for maybe some concern and, and it might be spreading to Europe or whatever. But obviously nobody, nobody could have anticipated this or expected it at the time. As a matter of fact, I remember, you know, the day that we shut down the office, our, our U.S. headquarters was in Fort Lauderdale. The day we shut down the office, I took home my computer and I took home enough paperwork for two weeks. I figured, okay, we'll be gone for two weeks. And then two years later, you know, right. two years later, I go back to the office and it's the same way it was when I left. So it definitely was, you know, not anything, you know, nobody could have ever imagined this in the entire world and everybody was impacted, obviously. And yeah, you know, at that point, all of our jobs were no longer our jobs. You know, at that point it was just, okay, now we have to start working with governments medical officials. We had to start working with our competing cruise line partners to figure out as an industry what we were going to do. And obviously our industry got hit really hard because the Diamond Princess was, you know, was was shown as sort of the first major breakout, right? So all of a sudden everybody associated this with a with a cruise issue, which it wasn't, but that made it even more difficult for the cruise industry. So, you know, we, we built a lot of committees. We were on the phones all the time with medical advisors and, and governments and trying to figure out protocols and policies every single day, things were changing and you know, really going through what I, I think most companies and, and everybody probably listening had to go through. And so my job just was to be a executive leader helping guide the company and working with our offices all over the world to share best practices and figure out what the heck we were going to do to get through this. And it was, you know, we had a, we had a complete shutdown for, for a long period of time. MSC was actually the first company to get back sailing after the pandemic started first in Europe, which was a lot of pressure, but it was also kind of nice. We were a little bit of a poster child for the industry getting back because we were the first ones to start in Europe and then ultimately in the Caribbean and other places. And um, look, it was just re, it was restarting the whole industry. And it was everything from, you know, how do we get all the crew home to then how do we hire them all back? How do we slowly start introducing one ship after another, after another? How do we change up all the itineraries? Because we don't know what port of call is going to be open or shut down the next day. It was just a tremendous amount of uncertainty and flexibility and 
trying to convince travel agents and consumers that, you know, we were safe and we were good and, and we were. I mean, we, again, not only was MSC like a poster child for the industry, but the industry was somewhat of a poster child for, for hospitality because we showed hotels and theme parks and, and land-based vacations that it could be done. So it was, you know, exciting to be part of that, but obviously not something I would wish upon anybody. And I hope we'll never have to repeat again, but we got through it. I ended up working on things I never thought I would ever work on, you know, how to get, how to get a COVID test to the terminal and how to redesign the lines and the process and the online technology to have people be able to report that they were tested and vaccinated. And, you know, I mean, all these things I could have never imagined yet again, another test for me and the industry to, you know, set you up as a leader and say, okay, how are you going to get through this? And once again, you know, a shout out to my leadership team at the time, you know, the owners of MSC and the people that I worked with that were unbelievably supportive and up 24 hours a day trying to figure out how to do this, you know, and, um, and it, it took a lot of leadership and a lot of camaraderie and a lot of communication and everybody just rolling up their sleeves saying, I don't care your title. I don't care your responsibility. It all goes out the door right now. We're all just trying to figure out how to get through this. And again, it was something different every single day, constant teams calls and zoom calls and, and no sleeping for a long period of time. Um, but here we are on the other side of it for the most part and cruise industry is exploding and, and doing incredibly well and people are coming back and I think we're better, you know, than we ever were before. So out of something, you know, everyone always says out of something that horrible, you, you try to find the, the silver lining. And I think, you know, with the way we operate today and a lot of things we do, we learned from the situation with the pandemic and, and we're better for it now. And I, and I can vouch for that because I've been on two cruises since at two different companies and you could feel the difference. And we took all that in hotels and put that into hotels. We were all watching you. So I appreciate what you all were doing because we were like, all right, what are they doing to get out there and make sure everyone's safe? And we were doing that here in Miami beach, but you know, for you, you, you did great. You're, you can see it was a great leader. You built a great leadership team because you got awards, you got top ratings. People are cruising more than ever. I see the MSC ships coming and going all the time from Port of Miami. But then you make this change to where you are today. So, you know, I'd like you to start first, tell me where you are today and what it is. And then how you made that transition? Sure. sure. Right now, I'm, uh, I am happy to be the managing director for Scenic Group. Uh, Scenic Group is a company that has luxury ocean yachts and river cruises, and it's two brands, Scenic Luxury Cruises and Tours and Emerald Cruises. Both brands have river cruises in Europe and Asia. We have 26 river boats out there today, and it's a privately owned company. We also have two ocean luxury yachts one for Scenic, one for Emerald, and we have two more, one for each brand coming out this year. So we're very excited about that. The two uh, Scenic Ocean Yachts are Scenic Eclipse 1 and 2. They are global. They go all over the world and they also do expedition. So the Arctic, Antarctica, and everything in between the poles. The Emerald Azora and Emerald Saqqara, which is coming out later this year, are slightly smaller luxury uh, yachts and they do warm weather. So predominantly the Mediterranean and Caribbean. So this shift for me was really exciting because I've never worked in, I've always worked for the big ship companies. 
So I've never worked for small ships. I've never worked in river cruise. I've never done luxury and ultra luxury to the extent that, that we are. It's a whole different clientele. It's a whole different travel, you know, agent community that you're working with and global destinations and expedition. You know, our, our, our scenic eclipse one and two have two helicopters on board. They have a submarine on board. You're talking once in a lifetime bucket list kind of experiences. Yes. Um, and you know, ultra luxury, focus around service, culinary experiences, and taking people all over the globe. And Scenic Eclipse 1 and 2 only hold 228 guests. And Emerald Azora and Emerald Saqqara only hold 100. So those wow. are like having your own yacht. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the river, the, the, the river ships, the river boats that are in uh, Europe and Asia also hold about 200, more or less. And um, that's a whole nother type of cruising experience, which has been incredible. Fortunately, I had done that a few times prior, so I, at least I knew what it was. But I really never had set, stepped foot on a luxury ocean yacht until I sailed on Scenic Eclipse when I was interviewing for this job. And I just sailed for a couple of days uh, in Chile, and it was it, it completely blew me away. So the opportunity for me to work in this space that I had never worked in before while it's still in the cruise industry, so I still had that familiarity and the comfort, but it was also yet again putting me outside of my comfort zone in river and ocean and expedition, uh, ocean yachts and expedition that I had never been in before. So that excited me. And once again, I'm here in a, in a place where the company is very well established in Australia, pretty well established in Europe looking to become a major player in the U.S. as far as sourcing from the U.S. to take guests all over the world. The company is growing. So yet again, I'm part of another company that's growing who needs the U.S. to be very, very successful so we can continue building more ships. So I seem to like this, you know, underdog, uh, uh, unknown brand awareness and, and get it to be known and, and, and sell it really well so we can keep building more and more ships kind of situation because here I am in it again. And then the last thing I would say about that is from a personal experience uh, or, or personal in my life now, when I travel, this is the kind of vacation now I want to do. I want to do river cruises. I want to do luxury ocean yachts. I want to do expedition to the Antarctic or Antarctica. I, I love the big ships with thousands of people. I think they're great for families and kids and certain times of the year. But for me, where I'm at in my, in my life right now, this is what I'm moving into now, more of the luxury, smaller, exclusive kind of experience. So, so it was a great professional opportunity and it fit my personal life at the same time. It got me really excited about it. Um, and I've only been doing it now for just over two months. So it's still brand new to me. I'm, I'm getting ready to start doing my first panels next month in Budapest at a big river cruise expo. And between you and me and anybody who's listening, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about yet, but... But I, I will learn quick. And again, it's, you know, that's why I did it because it's, I, I like to be in those situations where I have to learn something new and it kind of rounds out my resume now from a cruise industry perspective, which I also really like because I've done the big public company with Royal Caribbean. I've done private with MSC. I've done mass market contemporary. I've done joint venture, small China, and now I'm doing, you know, ultra luxury and river and expedition. So it, it, was, it was a great opportunity, perfect timing. That's why I took it and um, really kind of just fit with where I wanted to be in my professional and personal uh, life right now. Yeah, I love hearing that. And I think 
Do you see that now? Is that what people are searching for is kind of these once in a lifetime experiences, I think still coming out of this whole thing with COVID that I really want to experience life to the fullest and I'm going to take these amazing trips that maybe I wouldn't have. Do you see that in your two or three months that you've been there? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think even even before taking this job, we started seeing it, you know, the the pent up demand, people being just stuck at home for, for a couple of years, you know, people are ready to get out there. People are ready to spend money again. People are are more focused on these kind of once in a lifetime experiences because it's it's more important for us now to do something that is valuable and impactful and memorable, whether it be for the environment, whether it be for participating in some sort of community, you know, uh, involvement or, or charitable, you know, kind of thing. I mean, these, these, these situations where you're doing something where it's, it's impactful and something that you want to share about on social media or talk to friends and family about is very important right now. And that's what people are looking for. So these kinds of more expensive, exclusive, once in a lifetime types of things is very, very popular right now, which is why I think the category is growing so much. You know, that's why you've got Four Seasons coming into the picture and Ritz and and uh, MSC's new brand, Explorer Journeys, and you've got Scenic and Emerald. A lot of these companies that are that are focused on this, these smaller luxury kinds of experiences to take you around the globe no different than when i did my first african safari you know that was for me life-changing and i think you reach a certain point in your career or you're a certain point in your life i should say where that's really what you're looking for and that's what you want to spend your money on and now coming out of the pandemic it's it's even more so because people are just so amped up and ready to get out there again which you're seeing you're seeing on the in the hotels you're seeing on the planes you're seeing in the and the cruise lines, it, it's filling up again, and there's a lot of demand. But especially for this category that I'm in, which is another reason why I'm really excited about it, this is a this is a big growth category now. I'm excited to hear that. I think it's going to keep growing. Like you said, there's so many more brands doing it, and on land-based stuff too. It's you see it exploding that way too. But you spent a good amount of time with us, Ken. I, I appreciate it. But I have one last question for you. So, if young Ken coming out of University of Hartford was joining your team today. Right. He's just fresh out of school, joining your team today in this cruise world. What advice would you give him? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I think the advice I would give is really similar to what we've talked about is reach out and get involved in as much and learn as many of the areas as possible and make it very clear to your manager and to your leaders that you want to grow in the company and you want to learn as much as possible and you want to be exposed to as much as possible because then your leader knows that when those opportunities come up they're going to call on you i think the reason why some people don't get called on today or don't grow as fast as they may like is because and i think you you asked me this earlier because they're not being vocal enough about saying this is what i want to do so, you know, I kind of did it without anybody telling me. I, I just kind of learned it and I was lucky. What I would tell to young Ken today is be very vocal about where you want to be in your career and when. And ask your manager, how do I get there? Please expose me to these things. Send me on these projects. Give me more things to do. Make me travel. Get me out there. Because when they know that, 
And if you have a good manager, it's their responsibility to give you those opportunities and, and give you that, that chance to grow and fulfill what you're trying to get done. And then you'll end up, you know, then you'll end up doing exactly that. Most industries today are, are growing, you know, things are coming back. There's lots of opportunities. There's lots of global opportunities. There's ways to move around. And it's not always about being promoted or making more money. Sometimes it may be a lateral move, but it's a whole different experience. And that's going to set you up for more things in the future. So I think my message would just be, if you want to grow and you want to be a leader and run a company one day or run an organization one day, make it very, be very vocal about it. So then your leaders know that you're the one that they should call on because they know that that's what you want to do. Gosh, I think that's great advice and a great place to end our conversation. Ken, I appreciate you taking the time today. You've got our whole community cheering you on in your new role. We know you're going to crush it. And if somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Ken Muscat. Um, those are probably the, the, the two best ways. Well, Ken, I'm very grateful you spending this time with me. And uh, we'll have to get a coffee. We just found out we're neighbors. So we'll have to grab yeah. a coffee uh, later on uh, in this month. So thanks again. Good. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.